And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wint, Deshaun Reed, ready to talk about another Raiders road victory. They go on to Cleveland and beat the Browns 16-6. It was not the high-scoring shootout that we all predicted. I don't think we quite uh, properly calculated the weather, especially the wind. And and what were they calling it? Grapple? Uh, The rain, sleet, kind of sometimes snow. Pretty nasty conditions, but... I mean, if you want to be considered a good football team, uh, a playoff contending football team, these are the conditions that you have to go in and find ways to get wins, and uh, and they were able to do it on Sunday. Yeah, I thought it was just a gritty, gritty win. I think they uh, ran the ball well. The defense made enough plays. Obviously, the win was a huge factor, but they made more plays than the Browns' defense did, that's for sure. So I think uh, I know John Gruden's pretty excited about the uh, the toughness the team showed. So, yeah, they're, they're back on track. I was pretty surprised by how well they were able to to run the ball, given, you know, they still without Richie Incognito, obviously, you know, Trent Brown was out and then they lost Sam Young as well. And so they had a lot of mismatch pieces on the offensive line and the, and the ring game hadn't been doing pretty well. And the, the Browns, I think they had a top five run defense coming into this game and, and the Raiders had over 200 yards. And even though neither team could really throw the ball, that's how they were able to, to dominate the game. And so... I figured that if they were going to win, that would be a big part of it, but I just didn't see it going that well. I thought this would be the game where Jacobs gets back on track, and he had a pretty good game. The offensive line opened up some big holes for him, and I think the Raiders' run defenses, I don't think they're elite or anything, but I think they're pretty good with Nick Kwiatkowski in the game, and they did give up a few big runs, but for the most part, the Browns' run offense was pretty inefficient. That was a big factor in stopping them. I like the direction that the defense is going just with a ton of blitzing. Like, you know, you might give up a big play here and there, but you're going to get some stops too. So I think that's the direction they should keep going. And just uh, credit to the the Raiders' offense and defense. They, uh, They did what they had to. Yeah, it was pretty clear that's what Gruden wanted to see more of after last week. He expressed that frustration about not being able to pressure the quarterback with, with rushing four. And, and they didn't pressure Baker Mayfield today. You know, only one quarterback hit, no sacks. Um, they did get helped out a little bit by uh, you know, quite a few Browns drops. There were some wide open receivers that just dropped passes. But, you know, conditions being what they are, whatever that, you know, you can, you can say all that. I mean, at the end of the day, they give up no touchdowns, only two field goals. And you do have to give them credit for that. Kwiatkowski had the forced fumble, which, uh, you know, was nice play. He got his hands on the ball. You know, he didn't even know that he had stripped it out until uh, he saw after the play. But, uh, you know, we're seeing him start to make some plays. And 
like we said, we saw Jonathan Abram flying around out there on, on those blitzes and, and making an impact again. So it was good to have him back out there. It'd be interesting to see like when the pressures numbers come out, how many they had, because it obviously they didn't generate much of a pass rush, but it, was, it didn't feel like Baker Mayfield was just back there with all day to throw and, and pick them apart, obviously, with, with him not, not having the best game. Part of it, maybe they just got rid of the ball quick or didn't take you know downfield shots because of the win, but I don't know, maybe once we get the deeper analysis, maybe they did a little bit better than, you know, just having the, the raw sacks. I think it's tough to get a pass rush when the, the field is this wet, too. You can see guys kind of slipping around. So, yeah, I, I'm curious to look at the film again and look at the numbers and see how the blitz affected the rush. But, I mean, I did notice a few times this pass rush just couldn't get, couldn't get their footing. I was going to say that the, the uh, things that usually plague the Raiders, the you know the drops and the penalties, definitely hurt the Browns today. There was a big drop by Njoku, at one play, a couple drops, and definitely the penalties were a big factor. So they were the smarter team. They made the, the most plays, and they deserved to win. The face mask penalty uh, on Derek Carr when they got him, uh, I think, a second down sack, whatever, that could have put the Raiders in really bad position um, and got that face mask. That was It felt like a Raiders-type penalty, right? And, and that was huge for, uh, for that game. I will say the Raiders got off to a little bit of a, a start like that, though. I mean, they had the, the three offsides in the first quarter, and I think Waller had a really uncharacteristic drop, and uh, I forget who else, but somebody else had a, had a drop. And, you know, even though they kind of got off to a shaky start, they didn't let that get them too off course, obviously. You know, and they're able to bounce back for the win. You know, they, they've been a team that, you know, they've shown the ability to be, you know, resilient at times this season, but I think this was probably their most grinded out win so far. And Ruggs should have had that touchdown, too. If you if you look at some of the pictures, you can see there's clearly a sliver of green right in between uh, the white line and his foot. So I think the Raiders ended up getting a little bit more breaks, but, you know, I thought I thought the Browns got some breaks, too. Yeah, I thought that was a touchdown. Um, the Renfro one was maybe a little more questionable. I don't know if that was a touchdown, but uh, that was kind of one where the, the whole idea of them not having a, a, a better TV angle probably helped them, and that one remained a touchdown so i mean if i guess if you can say that those two balanced out then uh then the raiders were in good shape i mean i know raider fans watching it when uh when there was a jarvis landry touchdown originally called it was you know right after they had had their the rugs touchdown uh was, was stood as as an incomplete any raider fan that's, that's watched this team over the years fully expected that jarvis landry one to be upheld and say there wasn't enough evidence so at least uh they got the call right there and, and that helped out the raiders I thought they might have stuck with the, the call on that one, given they kind of set that precedent with the, the rugs catch that, you know, in retrospect kind of looked like a touchdown. So it was nice that they went back and, and got that one right. If we're going to talk about a moment of the game, I mean, a, a drive of the game, maybe their best drive of the season. Uh, you know, the Browns oh, first half there started the second half there. They uh, they come out and they get what a, a field goal to open up the third quarter. And then the Raiders get the ball back and, basically just hold on to the ball. We know we know what the, the field was like, where if you were going in that one direction, throwing the ball was really difficult. Kicking the ball was really difficult. We saw Daniel Carlson's uh, first field goal where, you know, as he called it, it was an A-plus kick off his foot. And, you know, he a- angled it at the, the far right. He aimed it at the far right uh, upright, and it went all the way and, and doinked off the left. But the Raiders getting the ball there in the third quarter and being able to maintain possession all the way until the, the opening seconds of the fourth quarter, was huge, obviously, then getting the touchdown, but to just put the Browns in a position where, hey, you're done getting the ball going in the preferred direction. Uh, I thought that was, uh, I mean, maybe just one of the best drives we've seen. I mean, a 15-play drive that took up 8.54. They followed it up with a 13-play drive that took 8 
47. So, I mean, we're talking about two back-to-back drives that were both almost nine minutes and gave him 10 points for Gruden and the, the ball control offense that he likes to run, even though a lot of times we're talking about wanting to see the, them open it up more. I mean, that was in this scenario in this game situation was pretty beautiful. You also got to tip your cap to uh, Brandon Parker in the third string right tackle. I've been harsh on Brandon in the past, but he stepped in again today. Last week didn't play as well. Today he was better. And if you run the ball for 208 yards with your third string right tackle, that's, that's definitely a, you got to give him props. So definitely a nice job by uh, the third round pick from my way back when. The big thing with the offense today was like their gross numbers obviously weren't good and they didn't score many points, but they were pretty good at converting when they needed to. On that 15 play drive you spoke of, they converted three third downs and overall they were eight or 14 on third down. And, you know, they were able to just keep the chains moving and, you know, true clock, especially in the second half. And, uh, you know, even though they didn't gain that much yardage or score that many points, you know, they came up pretty clutch there in the second half. Yeah, Gruden went uh, two for two on fourth down today, too. So, you know, maybe he is, uh, maybe they are turning a new leaf when it comes to fourth down and blitzes. This team is starting to take some more chances. The impressive part about those two drives were, you know, the Browns knew that the Raiders had to run the ball. And they were still able to do it efficiently, and they were still able to convert first downs through the run game. I mean, it was just impressive. And, um, you know, they had a little bit of a hiccup on, on the goal line when they, they couldn't get in. I thought that was that was the right call to kick the field goal there because, you know, you go up two possessions, and the Browns weren't really moving the ball there. But, yeah, just credit to this offensive line, credit to Tom Cable for getting the backup guys ready, like Denzel Good, Sam Young, and um, Brandon Parker. Yeah, I mentioned the uh, how the Browns knew the run was coming. There was a good quote from uh, Stefanski afterwards saying that, you know, obviously they knew it was coming. They brought the safeties down to help, but it still kept getting pushed backwards. So you got to give, again, even he gave credit to the Raiders' O-line just for imposing their will on his defense. Yeah, and even beyond the O-line, I mean, the running backs, both Devontae Booker and Josh Jacobs, they did a really – good job of getting yards after contact. Maybe we were bouncing off of guys, you know, trying to make arm tackles or just, you know, fighting for those extra, extra yardage. Even if it's not that long of a game, if it's a five-yard gain instead of a one-yard gain, that kind of stuff adds up. And so I think on both fronts, it was a really strong effort. I loved how the TV broadcast team kept bringing up how because Booker oh ran well, he ran hard. <laughs> Therefore, Josh Jacobs had to run hard because Booker had run hard. I'm like, give me a freaking break. But uh, they thought they came up with something big. Like they they, they had they found out some huge revelation too. <laughs> Guys, guess what? Guess what? Booker ran hard, and then. Jacobs ran hard. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Yeah, and another thing was every time there was a drop, the guy was like, I don't get why guys don't use their hands in a diamond. You know, everybody, <laughs> it's like, dude, okay. Like, that you're not, simple. <laughs> you're not reinventing the wheel here. <laughs> what about Chris Spielman? Like, tried to, to, to give Derek Carr, like, instructions. Like, this is how you've got to throw the ball in these conditions, man. You've got you got to throw it. Yeah, you got to throw a spiral. What the hell are you talking? <laughs> no shit. Wow, you have to throw a spiral for it to be a... It's got to be a tight spiral, man. Not just a spiral, it's got to be tight. <laughs> and then he was getting on uh, Darren Waller for going out of bounds there with like 11 minutes to go in the in the fourth quarter. Like, <laughs> yes, that's, that's a mistake, man. You've got to keep the you got to keep the clock tick-tock, tick-tock. And as he's saying that, I'm watching like the clock on the TV screen as it's like tick-tocking because, bro, it, it's not under five minutes. It, it you know, there's uh, these are NFL timing rules. They uh, they only stop the clock when you go out of bounds under I think under five minutes and under like two minutes in the first half. So we could go on and on about the broadcast. But I mean, Derek Carr contributions in the run game. 
Six carries, 41 yards. It's the most yards he's ever rushed for in a victory. Fourth most of his career. Showed, I mean, ability to scramble for first downs. I mean, they, they let him keep it on a read option. The passing numbers aren't going to look spectacular, but I thought in the conditions, he played well, um, managed the game well, and, and obviously helped the team out with his feet. Yeah, I think he outplayed Mayfield in Mayfield's house. You know, obviously the conditions were bad, but uh, he was the tougher quarterback today, which I think is why a big reason why they won the game. So does Derek now get to go film a commercial post game in, in, in that stadium? He does. He does. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for Derek was just not turning the ball over, you know, not having any interceptions. And even though I think he was sacked twice, but he didn't, you know, give up a fumble. They had an ugly one. Uh, I think it was the first quarter where I, I forget who. I think it was Garrett that got a hand on the ball and almost knocked it out. And then he almost almost threw an interception. So that was like his one almost disastrous play. But outside of that, he didn't really make many mistakes. And the last couple of weeks, he's he's used his legs pretty effectively. Like there are times when he runs and he just—if you look at his forty time, you would think he could pull away from some defensive lineman. But like in a pass, he just d- didn't do it. But I felt like in the last couple of games, he did mix, you know, pull away from some guys and effectively use his legs. So I mean, that's another weapon that he should have in his arsenal. He's a pretty athletic quarterback. So uh, good to see him kind of weaponizing his legs. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the ground game, but let's just talk more about Josh Jake. I mean, he said when he 
saw the conditions, you know, he would, he loved it. This is what he kind of grew up playing in and knew that he was going to get the ball a lot. And uh, Vic, you called it that he was going to have his first hundred yard game. And, uh, and he certainly delivered. I also called fifty one forty eight, but never mind. We'll forget about that. We're just focusing on the ones you get right, man. We don't we don't focus on we focus on the wins, not that, the losses. I know it's gonna be that windy for Christ's sake, but uh, yeah, I think he he's clearly to me one of the top. I want to say eight running backs in the league. I think he's uh, he's big time. So I think the old line problem is definitely uh, filtered over the last few weeks. And but he's fully healthy. He says, and everyone else says on the team. So I think you got to ride him the rest of the way. Thirty-one carries. Uh, he definitely ran the ball hard. Even I guess he followed uh, Booker's example in that regard. But um, yeah, I think he's big time. So I think they should get the ball more, catching the ball like they were early on. But they kind of have gone away from that of late. But I think he's a big time weapon. You know, the one thing I, I liked on that, uh, on, you know, the 15 play drive, that nine minute drive is, you know, I know, think we're thinking going in, like, okay, this is a drive where you really are just going to lean on that ground game. And th- they did do a degree. They started off, but they also did a nice job of just kind of mixing in those short to intermediate passes. You know, they didn't just strictly control the clock by grinding out on the ground. I mean, uh, some nice throws to Renfro, some nice throws to Waller. Uh, that, that was really a, a nice balanced drive. I mean, I don't know what uh, the, the run pass split on the 15 plays was, but I think there was probably at least five or six pass plays worked in there. They had some moments where they were kind of predictable. Like I think like Booker had a stretch where he had like two nice runs and then he tried to run it a third time in a row and he got stuffed. So like but I think for the most part they they did a good job of mixing it up and, and keeping them on the edge a little bit. Uh, obviously they were pretty limited in the passing game, you know, even though they had some some moments where guys were open, like Ruggs was open downfield in the in the first quarter and, and Carr couldn't connect with them. I still think they they managed to switch things up enough to avoid the Browns dialing in and, and figuring out what they were doing. So I think it was a, a very well called game by Gruden, you know, under less than ideal circumstances. I was going to say they even threw the ball to uh, Foster Moreau, which they haven't done enough of lately. He's lost some playing time to Jason Witten, but uh, Carr missed him. He was open on one play. But you know, Moreau was a big part of the offense last year. I think they could definitely get him worked back in. It'd be, it'd be good for him. And I like that they got the ball to Ruggs on some shorter passes, um, you know, especially once once you saw the, the effect of the win, you know, whether it was uh, – or, or even giving them the ball in the handoff. It didn't work, but they tried one jet sweep with them, so – seems like they were starting to incorporate him in other facets of the offense as well. I think with that one long pass that they missed, I think Carr was expecting Ruggs to kind of run at a higher angle, and then he kind of flattened his route out. So it's just, I think a similar thing happened against New Orleans too. So those two are definitely still trying to figure out, you know, their chemistry together. I thought the touchdown pass was a really nice example of how, you know, those two connecting and being on the same page. Unfortunately, you know, it was called incomplete but yeah i mean they're still working out some kinks together you know we talked about Carr running the ball i just want to put some numbers behind it uh he has 21 carries on the season and nine first downs and 21 carries that doesn't include that includes you know kneel down so i don't know how many of those there have been but basically probably about half the time that he's run the ball he's picked up a first down uh you know this official percentage is about is 43 percent uh, on his career he's uh, below 25 percent so really is running the ball a lot more effectively and efficiently the nine first downs on the ground for him um is the second most in a single season in his career. He had 10 as a rookie. Um, so he's already exceeded however, you know, how many touchdowns he's run for every other season other than his rookie year, and we're seven games in. So really does speak to uh, to how well he's you know, just improved in that area. Those uh, Gruden drills are working. Him, Gruden chasing him around with like pool noodles and that kind of stuff. 
you know, obviously uh, one of the the storylines out of this game was Trent Brown. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of a mystery before the game when uh, the the Raiders uh, announced that Trent Brown was inactive, a surprise inactive. You know, the the, the word on Friday had been they wouldn't want to see what his wind was like and, and see if they could get him in there. Um, and they did wake up this morning expecting him to play. For the game, we were told it was an illness, and that was all we were told, even from Gruden after the game. Kind of started finding out a little bit more when uh, when Derek Carr mentioned that he had been wheeled out of the locker room, and and that the situation was uh, a little bit uh, a little bit more serious than uh, than indicated. Yeah, it was weird when the Raiders made that statement before the game that uh, he was sick. Obviously, it was inactive, and therefore he stopped playing, which usually is all information will get before a game. But they made a statement saying that he was sick. But not showing uh, COVID symptoms, which I texted Deshaun right away. Like that's that's kind of fishy. It doesn't see. I don't know why they would say that. So definitely, I think I raised my eyebrows. And it turns out he had a, um, a bad IV and went to the hospital. So I just think um, people who jump to conclusions for the game gotta be careful because I know he has a history this year of of not playing for various reasons. But uh, definitely in this case, it wasn't at all anything he could have done to help it. Yeah, this is a situation where it's like. Obviously, you know, he's he's alert now and it, and it looks like he, he will probably be OK. But, you know, that's something that's potentially life threatening and something else that's potentially life threatening is the disease that he just recovered from COVID-19. And so I think you only practice once this week and people just have to be a little bit more understanding of, you know, it's not like he turned an ankle or sprained his elbow or some kind of football injury. Like these things aren't injuries, like they're health problems, you know, and so especially when it's in, in general, you know, should be more considerate when guys are, are hurt, but particularly when it's something that's a health issue like this or, or COVID-19, kind of need to wait until you find out all the details and see what's going on so you don't end up looking like an idiot. I mean, like, you know, with Trent Brown, you, if you watched him play in that Kansas City game, there was clearly an issue with his Achilles. Like, he couldn't bend that well, yet he played a really good game. So that tells you he was playing through an injury. And then, you know, in, in this game, he he was going to take an IV and play the game. So, you, you know, he definitely wasn't 100% or else he wouldn't have to get an IV before the game. I don't know 100% of the Trent Brown situation, and I don't think a lot of people know what's going on behind the scenes. So I, I think it's pretty unfair. You know, some of the criticism that uh, we've seen from for Trent Brown in the social media world. Yeah, I mean, and I get it that people are frustrated that this guy is making a lot of money and not playing. I mean, and there's some understanding there. But I mean, this is this is just something simply you can't put the blame on him for. And it's you just got to you got to understand that these guys, you know, people that want to like try to point to, well, you know, we got to see how the locker room reacts to this. You know, these guys are like, dude, the locker room sees the guy wheeled out of the locker room. I mean, they're they're going to fully understand. I mean, these guys understand what what health risks and and everything that they're going through to, to play, you know, not just this season, but every season. And uh, guy guys on that team understand the difference between a guy who is uh, who legitimately can't play and a guy who who is capable of being out there. Yeah, and Abram said that the team got together, talked about it after Trent was wheeled out, and they decided you know they wanted to get the win for him. So I think the team definitely is behind him, despite what people say on the outside. He had some reporters and people on social media taking shots at him. But again, with COVID nineteen, it really makes no sense to make any kind of rush to judgment. I mean, just we, we don't know what his symptoms were, how he's feeling. I mean, we hear it. Gruden will say he's feeling better at some point. He practiced well on Friday, but again, there's so many details that we don't know. So it just makes no sense to to rush to judgment. All right, well, let's get out of here on a on a positive note, on a happy note. I mean, uh, what what was 
what was your biggest takeaway from this game? I mean, for me, it was that the Raiders, you know, we, we've seen a lot of times over the years where there's uh, stuff goes against them and, and having your right tackle all of a sudden not playing and playing in these conditions and they, they can't, you know, they, they shoot themselves in the foot. Here was a game where they just, it didn't matter. They, they played, it was an ugly game. It was going to be an ugly game and, and they made sure that they were the team that played a hell of a lot better than the team that was uh, playing at home. I mean, the guys from the desert that uh, have an indoor practice facility and, and haven't seen rain and, you know, since they were in the offseason training, uh, were able to get it done uh, in wet and windy Cleveland. I think it's a positive that it was still a bad weather game. Derek Carr was able to finally win one of those and, you know, he used his legs to pick up some first downs. So it, it just more signs that Derek Carr and his team is, is progress, they're progressing. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely another monkey off of, uh, of Derek's back. I think the first the win in KC was a big for his, you know, him and the team's confidence. And, I, and so much has been written about him losing games in the cold weather over the years. And, you know, today was definitely a case where he stepped up and, and played well enough to win. So you look at his, obviously his confidence is fine, but I'm sure it's getting getting better, growing week by week as these things, these obstacles are overcome. And so it is kind of ironic that uh, he's doing this while uh, the guy brought in to compete with him, to push him. Uh, Marcus Mariota was inactive again today. Second straight week, he's been third string. That's a pretty expensive uh, third string quarterback. Dick always has to bring up Mariota. Do I really? I apologize. <laughs> just want, just once in a while. You just like to beat the guy, right? Yeah, I just want to meet the guy. Exactly. I just want to <laughs> say hi to the guy. No. At least say hi on Zoom. We gotta see a wildcat package with him, like eventually. Why do you want to see Marcus Mariota package? How much money does he cost, man? You gotta, you know, you gotta make, you know, make it worth it a little bit. Dude, car around the options there. Run the wolf car. Run the wildcat package. All right, all right, all right. You're right. You're right. Nathan Peterman wins nice wildcat package. Bring in Nathan Peterman. I'm sure. Deshaun, what was your takeaway? Just from the win, or are we still on Mariota's money? I'm just thinking about like seven and a half million. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 Deshaun, are you watching another team's game right now? You, you know, no, you're not, no, you no. know, you're not allowed to watch other team's <laughs> games, man. What are you doing watching another? Man, you cheat on you cheat on us here watching another game, and you're laughing. Stop laughing. Deshaun got in trouble on Twitter for for watching another game, so he's uh he, he he's on uh, he's on restriction right now. Off of the Broncos and Drew Locke and, you know, forming a zoo grad. But anyway, the Raiders, <laughs> uh, I just think, you know, this it's not like this is a, a must win at this point in the season. But I think, you know, especially in, in the manner that they did it and, and looking at the remainder of their schedule with it being pretty weak. You know, I, I tweeted out they only have teams that right now, three, three teams that have a, a winning record left on their schedule. Obviously, that can, that can change as the season progresses. But they're, they're set up pretty well and they made it through this you know, seven game beginning of the season. That's obviously their roughest stretch. I think better than a lot of people had them. I think I did. I don't think I had them four and three at this point in the season. And so, you know, obviously there, you know, injuries can happen and other things can happen, but I think they've set themselves up pretty well, you know, going into the second half of the season where they could make a, make a push and, and potentially in that drop. First win in the start of their three game winning streak, right guys? <laughs> That's right. We guarantee a playoff spot, right? Oh. <laughs> I think it clinched the playoff we spot. We guarantee a playoff spot if oh. they went three in a row. Interesting. All righty, guys. Well, I think that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We will be back later in the week to get you ready for the road trip to take on the Los Angeles Chargers and SoFi Stadium. Deshaun will be getting to check out the uh, the new digs there in LA. Should be uh, should be a good one uh, again next week as the Raiders try to see if they can get to five and three. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right, y'all. Peace.